Hey Coconuts, welcome to another episode of Weekly Market Updates where we scour the net for interesting market news. It's finally nearing the end of earnings season, so please bear with us for a bit. Um, today we have NVIDIA earnings, which is always fantastic, Zoom earnings and a bit of the pandemic boom dying down. And lastly, with Jeff back, some catching up on macro news over and, and what we see going forward. Lots of content to engage with today, so let's get to it. Hey Coconuts, welcome back to Weekly Market Updates with me, Rakesh. Anthony. And Jefferson. So welcome to the new week. Hey. And welcome back. Hey. Welcome, welcome back. back. Hey. From what cruise are this time? Australia. <laughs> land under. Wow, wow. <laughs> land down under. Good to have you back. Good yeah. to have you back. Reggie wasn't a good host last week, is it? That's why good to have me back. <laughs> <laughs> no lah, I think we 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 need yeah, to yeah. be there. Reggie comes from the about China, right? So I mean, <laughs> and, and, and we have to like ask what the amount sponsors, of plugs so, that he put know. in yesterday, uh, last week, I uh, Jeff is insane. <laughs> I heard, I've heard, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> on the way back on on my flight, I was listening to a podcast and I heard. Yeah, <laughs> but it's okay, Reggie. We still love you. Yeah. All right, coconuts. Thanks for listening in. This week we've got a couple of topics for you. So earnings call season. So we start off with Nvidia, then we move into Zoom, and lastly, since we have Jeff back, we're going to talk a little bit about macro. A bit of firing questions here, and I think that there's a little bit of a Cinderella story there, Jeff. Yep, so let's talk about that. Looking forward to that one. Anthony, why don't you take us away with our first story? <laughs> All right, NVIDIA, end of earnings season. I'm so happy, right? So Because that, that means I can finally buy things. Um, yeah, Every time it's earnings season, you go, oh no, what if they miss expectations and it's 30% down overnight? You know, can, can do you actually buy? Right, So you wait, you get the information and you go, yes, you know, this looks, still looks decent. It's down 20%. Let's go ahead. But yeah, and, and NVIDIA, um, they had earnings last Wednesday and like clockwork nowadays, um, wow. after earnings, the stock went down 9%. So not too bad, not 30, 40%. It's mere nine. They kept it to you know single digits. Underlying revenue business seemed okay, right? The, the revenue was 46% growth year on year. It's at 8 billion a quarter now, higher than expected. It's a historical high, right? So it's the highest ever. They had slightly weak expectations. The, their projected revenue next quarter is 8.1 billion. So not great sequential growth. Right of this revenue, data center is actually the biggest contributor now. So you know, we, we think of Nvidia, we think about GPUs, gaming chips, but their data center revenue is actually the largest contributor at this stage. And you know, again, we, we think about you know Nvidia is hardware, but their margins are actually great, right? Their gross margins are sixty odd percent, operating margins are thirty odd percent. So you know, it's they kind of profile like a software company, even though they sell you know hardware products. So, yeah, I'm heavily optimistic about Nvidia as a business, right? Maybe not as a stock, but as a business, definitely. What about you Jeff, guys? What do we think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really look at tech stock as much as you guys do, for sure. We should do something else. Um, please suggest <laughs> to us. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, seamless plug. But I do agree that like financial results are still strong on on that front for Nvidia, and I, I like the business for sure with the whole you know. Uh, shortage of semicon and what's not, I think it's also 
they are they're pretty much poised to to do better in the next quarter as well. Uh, given the fact that they are they are also trying to stock up on inventory like the rest of semicons companies as well. And on the other front, I think one of the things to also think about, which we probably discussed a little bit the last time for semicons, is that got to see how the whole Ukraine war is going with uh, Russia, right? Because uh, a lot of these precious metals that are required for semicons are also laid out in all these different countries. So definitely will affect how the pricing of this, the different chips from NVIDIA will play out as well. So I think that's another narrative that we can possibly look at. And I, I think like everybody else, they basically threw in the word inflation in the uh, earnings <laughs> report as well. Citing for all the lack of revenue expectations and what's not. I think it's just another word that every other companies are throwing out there. Nvidia, no less. Uh, macro <laughs> is bad means macro is bad, yeah, right? And yeah, if yeah. you have a reason for it, why not? Yeah. Always so a good that, that's probably the fastest way <laughs> for them to explain to the stakeholders as well. I think definitely we'll play out somehow, probably in the next quarter when maybe the macro environment get a little bit better, hopefully. Don't really think that will be the case, but I think on the front where AI, like quantum computing is coming up as well and what's not, yeah, NVIDIA is also supposed to do better in, in the near term as well. Yeah. What about you, Rakesh? I think NVIDIA yeah. is, you know, in all fairness, I think it's a it's a good stock to look at, right? I myself don't invest specifically in, in NVIDIA's, but let's put it this way, right? It's dropped a lot. I think there is room to grow. The semicon what industry. hasn't, though? That's true. That's true. But it has shot up since the earnings call, right? Is what you said, Am I right? Shot up quite no, a bit. No, it, it went down after the earnings call and, and last week, and maybe we want to talk a bit about this later, it, like everything went up on Thursday and Friday for whatever reason. Um, oversold, RSI, whatever technical reason you want to give to it. But yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it has recovered into the share price. On top of that, I think we covered NVIDIA a few months ago. In the semiconductor industry, if you look at it as a whole, I really think that's a good thing. I think for me, the play would be buying some sort of semicon ETF that has NVIDIA in there. I think that's a good play for me for Coconuts listening as well because I do believe in that industry and that and that strength mm. and that growth. And NVIDIA is one of it, yeah. That's an interesting point though. So why a, a broad-based sector ETF compared to an, an individual stock? Is it just a, a diversification type of thing or...? Yeah, so I may not win as much if I if I put into a stock and that obviously skyrockets, but I do know I have confidence in the mm -hmm. industry growing specifically NVIDIA or is it uh, Intel or is it any other semiconductor space? For me, that's a bit of the question mark because of the war in Ukraine, as Jeff mentioned. And at the same time, there are a few other variables, right, uh, that could go on. I know there's this ongoing thing with Finland. I don't actually know what's going on there. So would that go and tamper the market as well? Yeah, what, what do you think on that, Anthony? Okay, would you go okay, for NVIDIA that, that, or would you go for a broad ETF? I don't know. Yes, we are, we are not talking broad companies. No, we're not. We're not, yes. <laughs> Yeah, M&A isn't fun. Um, I, I don't know, right? I'm kind of in, in two minds about it. I agree with you. I, I think it's a secular trend, you know, um, semicon, we're probably in, in the up cycle and then hopefully it continues or, or it breaks the, the cycle to the extent. But I think where I'm slightly uncomfortable with an ETF, especially a sector-based ETF like this, is that they tend to encompass the whole value chain, right? So uh, a semicon ETF could go from, you know, miners um, like lithium and, and copper and, and all the neon gas suppliers um, all the way up to, you know, NVIDIA, which is more the design space and even to like the foundries and all that. So it gets a bit too complicated, right? And, and I don't know if for sure that all aspects of the semicon industry will, will rise up. That's a concern I have with a broad-based ETF. Within any 
you know, value chain that there is always a stronger link right, that has more power and, and more monopolistic pricing power and all that. Uh, a weaker chain, which is really just a price taker. And if you can kind of look at the value chain and think that this is the set, this is the part of the chain that is the weakest, I don't want it, I want to buy the rest, then, then I think that's fine. That's probably why I, I'm more inclined towards the stock picking part of things, especially if uh, if you can kind of know the industry. If it's just like something super opaque and nobody knows like, you know, uranium, right? Like how do you check which uranium miner is great? You don't know. So you buy everything else. But for widely covered, you know, industry widely covered stocks, you can probably make a good guess. Fair. No, I think that's that's a fair point. I think for me, it's more the fact that if you say uranium and all these metals do do increase, what will happen to NVIDIA, right? So they do specifically on design, but I do believe they also have fabs. Am I right? No, I don't think they actually do the manufacturing themselves. So they pass it off to say... Taiwan Semiconductor. Yeah, uh, TSMC, Samsung, the, the usual aspects. Yeah. Got it. So it's purely on the design side. So that means their competitors would be like Apple, for example, or the other design companies. Yeah. So for their data center portions, it could be like Apple, Amazon with, with their you know, custom silicon. Intel, AMD are definitely competitors. Yeah. Um, AMD in the GPU space, Intel for wherever they are still at. <laughs> to the extent they can still be considered a competitor. Yeah, I think that's pretty much about it. In Relatively interesting is NVIDIA's kind of push mm. towards other aspects. So, you know, I think traditionally they were a GPU company, right? Yes. At least from the, the early 2000s onwards. Um, we bought their graphics cards to make our computer um, whatever. <laughs> and then they moved into that, oh, you know, I'm, we are now a data center AI type company because their chips could do, you know, machine learning faster. They had parallelization and it helped um, kind of push their products out into a data center and computing space. And, you know, right now they're saying, oh, you know, we, we kind of have that down pat. There are competitors coming up like AMD and all that, but we are pushing that along and we, we want to expand even further. So they are going to go to like have chips for automotive, right? Because they have taken their, their machine learning expertise and they can kind of move that towards you know electric vehicles and, and self-driving cars or, or towards self-driving cars whenever they appear. So yeah, I think you know it kind of beginning to see a, a diversification of their products, right? More than just a traditional GPU company. They apparently also want to start licensing their software. I think hmm. we, we probably need somebody to do a deep dive of NVIDIA to, to tell us about how, how their software licensing works with CUDA and CUDA AI and all that rubbish. So yeah, you know, it sounds a lot pro- promising to me, you know, especially with their gross margins and, and operating margins at, at relatively high levels compared to, let's say, Intel, right? Where you have decent margins, but then you are moving into a slightly lower margin business with the foundries that require a lot of kickbacks and all that. Jeff, what do we think? So yes, NVIDIA. <laughs> no, no, no real thoughts on this front. And definitely, I think Anthony made a very convincing pitch on that on that front. But yeah, for for myself, I think on the front of whether to buy a broad based uh, index, like sort of like an ETF versus like a particular single stock like Nvidia, I think for myself, I will definitely go for a broad based one, considering that I know not too much about the industry as well, and it is sort of safeguard your my very own interest, right? I just want exposure in in that space, so definitely will just pick the the ETF, and it's just a no brainer kind of thing where I just get some exposure uh, on that front. I don't really care whether the single stock actually did very well or what's not. Yeah, that's my take. No, that's fair. Cool. Yeah, so I think I'm coming, <laughs> coming back to it. No, thanks, Jeff. On my side, I see your point. I think those are very valid, valid cogent arguments as well. But I think for me would be, maybe I just don't know enough of NVIDIA 
to be able to say, yeah, this is definitely going to work. That AI software is definitely going to work. I need to understand that a lot more because is that been proven? Has it proven over and over again? When they're looking to start license, will people buy? Like those would be my questions that I have. Where else, if I were to get into an ETF, it'll be, yeah, I know semiconductor will increase. Yes, we've got some issues maybe with the with the logistics side or supply chain side or, or fab side, but overall it will, there is that demand. So therefore it will grow. I guess that's where I'm coming from. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think all, all that is, is very fair. It's just a different, I guess, perspective on allocation, right? Um, you know, it's and I think to me it's yes, you know, that there's a secular tailwind at least for things that I, I don't really look I have a bit more interest in and I want to look at. I want to try to pick the, the winner of the secular tailwind. Right. Because it's relatively easy to say that there's a trend. Um it's it's not as easy to say, you know, who will win from that trend. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. True. But anyway, as yes, everybody, please do your own DD. You know, <laughs> this is not financial advice. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. I think we have our disclaimer at the end of the episode as well. So, <laughs> yes. Nice, nice. Good, good. Disclaim everything. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that uh, with NVIDIA. All right. Next story. Let's jump into Zoom. All right. So, let me bring that up. So, we, we talked about Zoom before. Didn't we? Multiple times. I think yes, Anthony, we did. Um, Anthony. I, I, I was uh, a relatively big fan. Right. <laughs> was a relatively big fan. Wow. Okay. Love was to hear thoughts on this. Love to hear thoughts here. Right? So Zoom had its earnings last week. I think just after we recorded our last week's episode. And they have beaten expectations, right? So actually the stock grew 16% after the um, Monday trading, after the, the, the news came out which is good. So it's better than expected, first quarter earnings, and they actually upbeat their forecast for the next period as well. Right? So I think one mm. thing to note there, right? So they raised their forecast to $3.77 a share from its projections of three fifty one. right? So a little bit of an increase, not by much, but at least there's a bit more increase. Lah. So I expected some sort of a little bit of a drop, but it didn't, it didn't quite happen with Zoom. However, one thing I want to point out, right, is the fact that their, Zoom is trying to target enterprise companies now. And their client base as enterprise. So one of the things that we could look at is the fact of number of customers that are contributing over 100,000 in terms of, of revenue for Zoom. And that grew 45% year on year. However, that said, that was the slowest pace for the last 17 quarters or for the last couple of years. All right, so there has been a little bit of a of a plateau, a little bit of a stagnant with regards to those, because enterprise clients are the ones that retain. Enterprise clients are the reason they have such a good retention. I think it's one hundred and twenty percent in terms of their customer retention. But it's one area that they said they were going to focus on this year. I'm sorry, I would just like to say that I said that in November last year that they are enterprise company. Thank you. Wow, very much. wow, Anthony. <laughs> oh, I called it. <laughs> I called it, and and they dropped, and I sold. But yes, I called it. <laughs> They are, they are an enterprise company, right? Because the the Zoom yep. stuff that we had over COVID, all of that stuff that everybody was using, we all we all knew that was going to die down at some point, right? And now they are, they are way is to get enterprise clients and keep them there. So on top of what they're doing, one thing they mentioned in the earnings call is that they're going to buy a few companies. And they see that in 2022, 2023, mm. that they are looking to purchase uh, a few companies moving forward in 2023. Oh, they are? Yep. Uh, and to start off with, they have purchased a customer support software called Solvy, S-O-L-V-V-Y. Now, that, that was a bit weird for me, but I wanted to bring that up, right? I, I didn't see why a Zoom or a video conferencing software was going to have a customer support software that they were also going to sell to clients, 
right? Before maybe giving my thoughts on that. We, we should get somebody to do another deep dive on yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Come on, guys. I called all this six months ago. <laughs> all right, Anthony. Maybe you got to do that. Maybe you got to do the deep dive. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I, I stood out already. I, so gonna... I no longer have an interest in doing the deep dive. <laughs> No, but I mean, think. Let, let's let's talk about that, right? So, Anthony, why do you think they would buy this this customer support software? Okay, so let's let's rewind a bit, right? Um, you know, we we all know Zoom from like the pandemic days and and the video conferencing software, and and it was like free, and you know, we call keep in touch with video calls and all that. But they started off very much as an enterprise company. They they were looking to, you know, kind of get into offices, and the real bull case for them is, you know, they they're going to replace Cisco. Right, so if you are in offices, you see your Cisco phones everywhere, and you know they, they are essentially trying to replace that headset, or that mm. handset with like VoIP and the Zoom phone and all that, and you know and the, the questions around like Sovi and all that, it, it's really just to help them sell services. So not only do they you know provide you with conferencing software, um, call software, I think Sovi and and previously. Um, five nine the the acquisition which died. Um, it's more to do with like a bit of automated call centers. So that's the service that they were trying to sell to enterprises, and that's kind of their way of you know moving, well, a bit down the value or or upselling their clients, right? I, I sell you the phone, I sell you the the usage, and and now I also sell you you know add on set that you can use. Um, so so that's the the great bull case for. Zoom because you know if you can be in every office, that's a lot of seats, you know, a lot of licensing revenue. They are not really going to change it quickly. It's it's very sticky revenue. So yeah, that that's the bull case, right? And and why they want to do this. Jeff, what do you think? I don't have a specific view on on that front, but I think that well, Zoom video continue to remain poised as one of its most strategic application, right? Mm. Software company in the whole communication and collaboration industry. If we look at like the following five quarters of hyper growth, like basically ranging from like, I think the number was like 169% to over like 369% year on year. <laughs> yes. That's pretty much yeah. insane for sure. Uh, and is much uh, higher churn in a single line segment of business as well. So you got to give it to them. You know, we always think that I personally also see it more like an enterprise company. The whole COVID thing where they just came out, introduced themselves. I think that was a very smart way to get traction, get people on board. You know, Zoom video basically becoming a platform is still in its early days. But like what Anthony is also talking about Zoom phone, I think the speed of traction is really encouraging on that front. And that's potentially how Zoom is going to become a platform over time, uh, including phone, your video uh, rooms, webinars, team messaging, whatever you call it, like content distribution. So you probably are going to see Zoom <laughs> coming on board as well. And that's smart to me because all of which, you know, you need a strong base and you need to build a platform which is large and sticky as well. So mm. whatever Zoom is doing, they are smart. They are targeting the user and providing user-driven content. And that's something that I think, from my lens, is worth looking at. Yeah, Got it. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think it's just a little bit of, of personal experience, right? So my, my office uses Zoom as well. Um, but it's Zoom on literally everything, right? So it's not just when we work from home, but each yep. of our meeting rooms are on Zoom. I think Zoom provides us with an iPad. You book stuff, right? You know, the iPad outside, you book it, all of it. Everything is literally done on Zoom which I think mm -hmm. is, is pretty interesting. And the use of Zoom phone and that expansion, mm -hmm. I'd say it's it's something to to take note of, right? Because if they can undercut Cisco, which is, you know, very, very prominent in the enterprise space for VoIP, is something that is a good target for them to hit and try. 
Um, I think the customer service software thing is pretty interesting though, because they mentioned when they're looking to purchase, it's definitely like what you said, Anthony, the AI side of things is one thing they're looking at. They're looking to test it for themselves, for their existing clients first, which I think is pretty cool. But then after that, sell it as a service suite that goes with their Zoom rooms for the client's customer. So that's, for me, that that's a little bit of a, of, I don't see how that kind of plays in yet. Because if I'm selling my software, yes, but what service am I giving you that you are then going to resell and then you can use this license and do that for your customer, for example. Because if you're looking at customer retention or customer service, you've got companies like Zendesk, you've got companies like HubSpot, a few, so many others in that space that would, they would be competing against. That's kind of their hook, right? You, you sign up with Zoom, you don't need to you know, and, and because I give you a very foundational service of like your, your meeting rooms, your, your teleconferencing, your telephones, you don't need to go outside and get another vendor for your customer support. You can just stick with Zoom and, and we'll give you a functional solution as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally agree. But yeah, I, I think with everything that we've been talking about, we have been singing his praises, the upsides and everything else. But I think also important for us to talk about the downsides, right? Like, COVID has been a great booster for, for them. And potentially, if you're going to see a second COVID wave, hopefully not, never again. Um, never again, please. Yeah. <laughs> no monkey pox or so. No. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Their whole potential reversal in pre-COVID work mentality might be a, a downer for, for Zoom as well. Mm. And also, if you look at, like, there's, they do have significant and sustained increase in competition as well, like a Ring Central. Like you have already mentioned, Rakesh, uh, Cisco, WebEx, as well as Teams. Microsoft Teams, Teams and whatnot, absolutely. right? Skype, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe not Skype, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Skype, Skype is fun, bro. <laughs> Some places, I mean, the bank still uses them, so you, so you gotta give it to them. Yeah, but um, Microsoft doesn't support the function anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. True, true that, true that. Yeah, yeah, and I also think that another thing to think about is also the sales execution, right? How well they run mm. their business, which is probably why, like you, you mentioned, they they did that their whole acquisition for that new company to to help them run the business a little bit, like streamline the whole sales sales process as well. And also one other thing I think is the slower than expected operating margin expansion or higher than expected expense growth that they potentially might incur over time. So this can all Supposed to be a, a risk to our TCs as well. Yeah, fair. Good points. Yes, that's that's almost exactly why I sold. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I mean, look, it, 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 I think it's a good company, right? They execute really well. You know, they have strong free cash flow. They have decent margins. Um, they they're coming up with relatively interesting products. Uh, I think. Well, which obviously have hopefully have have product market fit as we go into more hybrid work or remote work, right? I think the difficulty I, I had um when I sold and this was after the last earning, so so a quarter ago, was that you know you, you look at it and you go this is great, this is all you know secular tailwinds and it's fantastic. And what's the revenue growth? Ten percent. Yeah. Like, what? You know that and you at that time it was at like fifteen price of sales. That's mm. not great. You know, I, I'm not paying that multiple for you know, that type of revenue growth. And even now, it's still like you know six, seven price to sell. So, so it's not cheap, right? And that, I think, is, is the big sticker for me. Like that, There might be a big TAM. There might be all these things where I can grow into. But you're not really growing. You're still charging me a relatively high multiple compared to your peers and, and the market in general. Why? I think there's better opportunities out there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
Well, we'll uh, we can revisit this. Maybe we'll do a deep dive. <laughs> Maybe they go another, you know, seventy percent down, and it's like you know two or wow. three prices sales, and they go, okay, fine, I don't mind, you know, a ten percent growth company at this stage. But I mean, all of this, right, ups and downs, and so on and so forth really will bring us to our last topic, right? Because not only Zoom was affected, not only NVIDIA was affected, but the rest of the markets were, especially in our portfolio. I know that for a fact. <laughs> I've stopped looking at it. Hopefully, <laughs> I've broken even. <laughs> no, but if you looked at it like last Thursday yeah. and Friday, you'll be very happy. Yeah. So so basically, it might not feel like a fairy tale to all our portfolio, but the market is actually pricing in a Cinderella outcome for the Fed, mm. where the glass slipper of policy tightening fits the economy's growth outlook perfectly to bring inflation back onto a firmly downward trajectory to what Powell is saying to be a soft landing. But in reality, however, if we look at it, there's actually a, a huge amount of uncertainty on the economic outlook from here. So like uh, last week, we, we saw a couple of things that like structural shift that uh, driving neutral rates up as the whole world deglobalizes and invests into ESG transition <laughs> and what's not. Yeah, and if you take everything together, it's very hard to have confidence in a growth inflation mix. And partly why I've been really puzzled by the widespread belief of an imminent recession I think it's coming in some okay, sense. Okay, wait, wait. So, so you you are saying that there might not be an imminent recession? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that. Yes. Okay, okay. Come, come. Tell okay, me more. I, please. I, I, I need hopium, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think... I think one of the things, like when I was on holiday and I was like talking to some friends as well, right? I think it's worth recapping on the uh, chronology of a tightening cycle. So normally, what we expect is that a signal from the central bank that they are shifting to a tightening bias, which basically feeds into markets via higher rates, lower stocks, and may or may not be a stronger exchange rate. Then you also see financial conditions tightening. So as financial conditions starts to tighten and rate hike starts to materialize, this basically will bring down growth. So you start seeing mortgage rates rising, consumers spending less and saving more and what's not. So you're basically in layman economics, it just means your aggregate demand shifts lower and then your whole mm. economy moves away from full employment and slack opens up in the goods, service and labor market which, you know, through time, it weighs on inflation and brings down inflation level. Yep. So currently, where I'm thinking is that we are at the point where we are bringing down growth. And also at the same time, we are also trying to move away from full employment through all these different rate heights. But the thing about it is that if you look at the data, and the data doesn't really lie, right? The jury is still very much out on the labor market and declining inflation trend. Hmm. I think in the coming months, that's what we should really be looking at because I'm I'm super uncertain about how this whole policy transmission mechanism actually uh, had worked out so far. Like It's no longer like the old days where we expect what I just mentioned to fall into a nice you know storybook play where we, we can just position ourselves to uh, buy the dip and then expect us to make money once the rate hike is over, right? I think it's no longer the same. And I think that, you know, you, you can't just take a snap of the financial conditions you see today and say like, hey, we, we are going to raise rates today just because we want to lower inflation. It's not the case anymore because there's a lot more that goes behind your full employment and what's not. It hasn't really shaken the foundational level of where growth is ultimately. So, 
all of which could just be a pass-through that we are seeing in the stock market right now. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but I do think that in the in the long run, potentially we're gonna see a downtrend cycle in the business cycle as well, because it it's bound to happen. And like I always talk about, the flush liquidity will then eventually be slowly drained out, and mm. that's where the real issue happened, right? Yeah. So, question. So, so you're saying that there's not going to be a recession in the next few months, or you're saying there will be. But in the longer term, I think he's saying that economic growth is still relatively decent, high. right? So, yeah, so yeah. maybe there's a technical recession um, because we we had one negative quarter of GDP, we get another one that's a technical recession. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yes. But, you know, so, employment is strong, economic growth is decent. So, well, is it really that big of a problem in terms of the business cycle? Yeah, I think market is really at a crossroad, right? And it's all about data. And a lot has been made. A lot has been made of some of the recent weakness uh, in survey and housing data that we all have seen. But with 200 basis point of financial condition tightening, what do we expect? You know, this is exactly mm-hmm. what the Fed wants. And this is what we should be anticipating as well. So, you know, like the stock market isn't going to be as rosy as before. Whatever the high has been, the record high S&P has been making, I think that's the past for now. And interestingly, you brought up there was a rebound last yeah. week prior to the weekend. I think it was one of the sharpest equity rallies on record uh, where S&P 500 basically rose 6.6%. It's mad. I think that that's really interesting because the one thing it highlights to me is that the, the focus of investors has basically shifted from inflation to growth and recession risk as well. So you you start seeing all these global macro surprises have turned negative in May. It hasn't been a good month for the macro part of things. And macro data uh, has disappointed uh, the most in, in China and also in the US mm. where manufacturing surveys and housing data have all been weak. So on that front itself, I think macro has just basically been destroyed through May. But one thing to me, I mean to me is that so far, bad macro news have not been bad news for markets for sure. And over the past month, negative macro surprises have been negatively correlated with the S&P 500 returns. And that's just interesting, right? right? Yeah. Can you give an example for that one? Yeah. 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 So like in May, like one of the things I, I was mentioning just now where in May, you have all the macro releases to be weak in US, Euro area, and also in UK and somewhat more moderate in Japan as well. But on the front of it, if that you see a lot of positive inflation surprises have still continued to dominate across these regions as well. And the stock market wasn't doing as badly as what we expected. Uh, in fact, there's still some form of relief rally that comes through. And I think all of which really come about because there's easing of concerns about monetary policy and the recession risk that broadly helped this relief rally across the different assets and region as well. So like your cyclicals basically outperform defensives and bonds rally alongside with equities in the US. And that's just strange, right? Uh, you don't usually mm-hmm. see that as well. But I think all of which is just trying to tell us that, hey, uh, the market is basically pricing a lower chance of recession in the coming months. And that's a good sign for all of us as investors as well. I guess one point I would say to that is that, you know, the markets can quite easily be wrong. I mean, we were talking, I think, about a month or two back and then there was a, another relief rally then. And I was like, hey, you know, the, the bond markets are pricing in super lot of rate hikes, the slow economic growth, but the equity markets are behaving as if that, that's not the case. And why, why is that? 
you know, divergence. And I think there was a bit of an expectation of, of strong earnings at, at that point, right? But that's kind of not really born through this quarter. So, you know, I think that the market at the end of the day is, is probabilistic, right? It kind of shows you that this is what the market roughly thinks will happen. Doesn't mean that they, they'll always be right. So, so a, a word of caution there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the difficulty here is uh, it's just uncertain right we don't know what exactly will happen it, it seems like the only thing we know is that the fed will raise rates that, that's all right we, we don't know how housing will behave we don't know how you know fiscal policy might behave right with the elections coming up we don't know how businesses will behave how china will behave all we know is the fed will hike and hopefully that stops inflation no, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So like for myself, my play is basically to remain neutral on equities uh, in the coming months as well. Maybe even through the June FOMC meeting. That's one. And mm. I, I look a lot at like the DXY, which is a, the dollar, dollar index. Yeah. And I see it more like a key me- measure of risk. And when people are risk adverse, they tend to power uh, into the US. So that tend to make them feel a little safer, but in turn make lives uh, worse for anyone that's trying to buy dollar-denominated commodities or repay any of the US currency debt. And from what I'm looking at right now, I'm, I see that the broad dollar index is beginning to look as if turning. So for the first mm. time since the initial week of Ukraine uh, invasion, it has deep below its short-term, say, uh, moving average of 50 days. And that to me basically just means that you know, while you have all this news flow that comes out to say like it's just a relief rally and what's not. But to me, I think that this breaking out of a losing streak for the US equities, it's a thing that definitely has to happen for now, for the time being. And most people are still sitting on cash. You don't you don't see the dollar dropping dropping off drastically as well. It's basically just holding holding back a short term trend. That's how I see it. Yeah, just one one other thing to think about is can you can probably see the slackening of the dollar strength as a way to soothe fears for risk of sovereignty as well. Yeah. Yeah. So on that last thing, I think some people have said, well, you know, maybe now is the time to go back long bonds. Right. For a bit, when yields were rising and bond prices were falling, people were like, oh, you know, yeah, bond and bonds and equities moved in a positive correlation. People go, okay, fine, right? We we kind of don't hold bonds. But there has been a, quite a lot of suggestions recently about, oh, you know, maybe it's time to long bonds again because we kind of know where the Fed is going to raise to to a certain level. That kind of means that yields will be around there, pricing will be about there. It provides your safe haven, right? Any thoughts? Um. Well, I don't really have much thoughts on that front. And I think... Like whatever we've been discussing, right? The very reason why the Fed is trying to do a rate hike is really to quell inflation. And that's the mm. poor mandate, I would say, that they are going for right now. And basically look at like the latest inflation data. They are basically positive for anyone who doesn't want to see the base rates move much higher as they already have in the past couple of months. And on that front itself, I think that I do see that people are buying US Treasury more as a bearish positioning move than anything else okay. right now. But it's too early to say because I, I don't look at flows mm. like that, that people trade anymore and what's not. So I, I can't give a good indication. But from what I understand is that it's mostly just for bearish positioning. Yeah. Okay. So it's a bit of a downside cushion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So bring it back to, to our coconuts listening, right? So one-liner, with all of this stuff going on, yes, the markets may not be indicating there's going to be a recession, this and that. What do we do? Wait, 
wait and see. Whole cash. What do we think here, Jeff? DCA. <laughs> you mean DCA I, how I much already? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I still got a lot of cash. This year, right? <laughs> Next month's salary Flex. coming, right? <laughs> bonus coming, bonus coming. <laughs> Unlike you, I don't have bonus. Uh. I think for myself, one of the things is that I do see oil prices to potentially go a lot higher. So now it's like, mm. what, 120 per barrel. And I do think that it may potentially hit like 140 uh, per barrel uh, by November. So if you look at, say, your commodities or uh, energy equities, right? So that's some of the play that you can think about as well. As for... The US tech stock, I still think the rare thesis that, you know, it, it's still going to be a sucker rally uh, in a couple of months as well. And I potentially see that the next six months to be good opportunity to to have strong and crazy rebound on that on that sense. I think there's no point in going to catch the any falling knife, like go and short the US markets. The last thing you want to do is be on, caught on the wrong side, right? So... Yeah, yeah, don't do any of that. Yeah, and I think like when the media or retail start talking about shorting, uh, recession, or uh, how badly the market will be and what's not, that's when you buy. Tend, <laughs> it tends not to be a case. I think it won't happen so quickly. At least in the next quarter, I, I think that yeah, equities will remain like relatively flat or maybe just go a little bit higher. Yeah, but if you if you want to buy some just for like the sake of rebound and what's not, I think there will be some decent play there as well. I think one of the very interesting thing is that why isn't there any analyst is out there uh, writing that oil will actually be a lot higher. I think that's a political, very political thing that, as well. There is though, that there are people um, going oil for 200. And, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What? But, <laughs> yeah, but if you see the bigger banks, they like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, yeah the larger banks, like the tier one banks, they are, they are not putting their head out there to write. I think that is like call for concern, right? Has always been a case where they refuse to stick their neck out to say like uh, oil prices are going to be too high in that sense because it tend to be a very political thing. And of course, if you think about it, higher oil prices means that everything else is going to be a lot more expensive. So cash will be good to last for the next couple of years as well. In reality, cash is trash, bro. In, in reality, <laughs> but if you think about it, you, you, you need <laughs> to buy... These are trashier, right? You need to buy, buy your bread. You need to yeah. buy food and everything. Everything requires cash, yeah. So... That's the that's the other thing to think about. Yeah, but yeah. but definitely do your own due diligence. Yeah, yeah. And our day today has been actually more and more expensive, right? So I mean buying bread, buying milk, buying even prata went up in price already. Chickens. Okay, in Singapore, chicken. Yeah. Chicken, chicken <laughs> is June, Malaysia. Yeah, another yeah. issue. Yeah, chicken yeah, yeah. is just Malaysia. Another issue going on there. We'll see. You know that when when I was in Australia and I heard about this, I was just like, wait. Wait, wait, hold up, guys. Wait, we have a shortage of chicken. Like, what's going on? Then I was like, I was just drinking my coffee and everything. I was like, okay, I need to read this. I need to go and understand what's going on in Singapore with chicken. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's, it's just chicken. Okay, no, it's not just, but it's chicken getting more expensive, right? It's, it's 30% of our supply gone. They are the cheapest part of our supply. So, I think that there's still imports from Australia, but Australian chicken is damn expensive. Was there really a chicken run? <laughs> wow, oh, this guy, funny. this guy. <laughs> Holiday comeback can make jokes. <laughs> so that's why now chicken rice is what ten dollars a pop, right? So that's what they say. Yeah, well, we are not Australia. Come on, guys. <laughs> Did the chicken rice shop just close? Ah, <laughs> uh, we'll see how that we we'll see how that plays out. Um, well, 
I think I'm coming to the end of the episode. Thanks again, Coconut, for listening in uh, with all three of us. Uh, good to have the trio back. Uh, hopefully we see more of you guys next week. All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.